Figarun que imis tu suton ejontes perikimenon imin nefos marturon, o con opothemeni panta ketin efarisaten amartian di upomenis trejon, ton prohimenon imin agona, aforontes intontis pisteos archigon ketelioton, Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the sake of the joy that was set before him endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. I'm reading scripture today from Hebrews 4, verse 14, through chapter 5, verse 10. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who in every respect has been tested as we are, and yet without sin. Let us therefore approach the throne of grace with boldness, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Every high priest chosen from among mortals is put in charge of things pertaining to God on their behalf to offer gift and sacrifices for sins. He is able to deal gently with the ignorant and wayward, since he himself is subject to weakness. And because of this, he must offer sacrifice for his own sins as well as for those of the people. And one does not presume to take this honor, but takes it only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not glorify himself in becoming a high priest, but was appointed by the one who said to him, you are my son, today I have begotten you. As he says in another place, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to the one who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And having been made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. Having been designated by God, a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. The word of the Lord. We had a great time this morning uh, out of the park worshiping. It's great to worship with you and those of uh, you that are online. I was uh, talking to one of my friends from the Metroplex uh, this week who's kind of part of vulnerable populations. And I said, are you, are you keeping social distance? He says, I'm keeping as much distance as the Dallas Cowboys defense. And, and I said, well, that sounds safe if you're staying that far away. That's, uh, that's pretty safe. So wherever you are, we hope you're well and safe. Uh, we're reading our way through the book of Hebrews. And one of the things that you discover about Hebrews is that it's repetitious. Um, it, it, it's like the Hebrews writer circles this point and circles this point and, and circles this point. And just to make sure you don't miss it, he just keeps circling the point. <clears throat> we also call that teaching freshmen. You know, same, same thing. You just 
You just keep kind of kind of coming at it. And, and there's this long section in Hebrews about Jesus being our high priest. And it goes on for chapters and chapters. And I'm going to pick out one little section that you've heard read and see if I can say something meaningful about what it means to have Jesus uh, for a high priest. Uh, whenever you read uh, the Bible, you always read it in a context. Uh, those of you who've been reading the same Bible, I mean the same physical Bible for years and years and years, and if you're one of those people who puts notes in your Bible, you find, probably find it interesting to go back and see how you read a certain passage 20 years before and wonder what you could have been thinking that would make you read it that way. And you're in a new context and you're hearing uh, the text in a new way. So as I'm reading these passages this week about the high priesthood of uh, Jesus, uh, I'm hearing them in the particular context that I am. And one of the things that, that keeps happening is that uh, even though I try to avoid them, uh, political ads keep floating by me. Uh, like when I'm doing something uh, very useful like watching a football game somehow a political ad will will get in there it almost makes you long for for beer advertisements um and um i i i've learned something about um how it is crucial if you're going to be a successful candidate today you have to convince people this i get it I understand you. I get your situation. I get it. I get it. And I'm thinking to myself, no, you don't get it. And as I'm listening to these texts, the Hebrews writer just keeps trying to insist to us that God in Jesus Christ gets it. He gets it because Jesus has experienced in the flesh everything that you have, and none of those candidates may get it, but guess what? You have a God who gets it. Um, there is a um, there's allure about having a priest. Uh, any of you come from a Catholic background? Any, any, do I have anybody here from a Catholic background? Never a Catholic when you need one. Okay. Uh, okay. Uh, more than uh, most Christian traditions, um, Catholics have leaned into the meaning of priesthood, but the people that... Um, that were written to by the Hebrews writer are mostly going to understand priesthood from a Jewish point of view. But they do have certain things in common, and that is the priest is the person who can help you deal with your sin problem. And I don't know about you, but for me, that's kind of appealing. 
You know, my sin is constantly with me. And if you could tell me there's a way where I could unload it and be done with it for a time, that sounds like a pretty good deal for me. And even if you told me it's just for a year, in this day and age, a year seems like an eternity. Unload my sins for a year. And the Hebrews writer is going to tell us, okay, you have a priest who not only gets it, but can take care of your sin problem forever. And that's why he's saying to these Jewish Christians, you don't want to go backwards. Um, Okay, so I'm going to do theology uh, for a minute. It's not going to be as bad as you think it is. Um, and I'm going to do a particular area of theology, which is called Christology. That's how we think about Jesus. And one of the things that um, Christian uh, history has sort of demanded is that we confess that Jesus Christ is fully, completely holy God and is fully, completely holy human. And it is extraordinarily difficult to say both of those things at the same time. Completely this, completely this. And the Christian tradition has always struggled with how to say that. Um, and so I have this, I have this theory, uh, as far as I can tell, no one holds to this theory but myself, so it's either my most original contribution or an utter eccentricity. You can read it either way. Uh, I sort of have this view that throughout his life, we view Jesus as fully God. And we have a hard time thinking of Jesus as human. Um, so a Jesus who would uh, get a stomach ache. Can you have a divine stomach ache? A Jesus who sweats. A Jesus who defecates. And I'm not even doing the stuff that will really make you uneasy. All that makes us a little queasy. And so we tend to have this Jesus who walks about two feet off the ground and he's kind of copacetically wandering through life and nothing really gets him upset and, and uh, he never stubs his toe. And, you know, it's, that's, that's who he is. And then we get to the death of Jesus and all that becomes very uncomfortable because we don't know how to talk about the death of Jesus except in human terms. So I'll talk about the torture and the pain and the physical abuse of the man Jesus and now he becomes fully human but he's not really God anymore because I don't have the vaguest notion about how to talk about the death of God. In fact, that idea probably made you squirm a little bit. 
So I've got this Jesus who's mostly God, not fully human through his life, and then I've got this Jesus who's fully human but not really God in his death, but the Christian position is he's both all the time. He's fully human through his life. He's fully God at the moment of his death. And that leads the Hebrew writer to say what I think is one of the most extraordinary things uh, that's found anywhere in Scripture about Jesus. Um, I cannot tell you how much time I have spent pondering these few verses because they are so ponderable. Chapter 5, I want to read them one more time, beginning with verse 7. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to the one who was able to save him from death. Pause. Okay, when I just read that passage, here's Jesus with supplications and tears, pleading with the one who can save him from death. What are you immediately thinking in your mind? You can yell it out. Gethsemane, of course you are. It, it, it sounds like a virtual description. Of, I, I heard you, by the way, out there in TV land too. Gethsemane. It's, it, it's, it's practically a description of the garden scene. And then he goes on. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. He was heard. Wait a minute. I remember that story. I think he dies. And yet the passage says he pleaded with God and he was heard. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And again, it's a, it's a, it's a mind-blowing passage. The Son of God learned obedience. He learned, yes, he learned obedience. The reason he learned obedience is because the only way you can learn obedience is by obeying. There is no such thing as theoretical obedience. You show me somebody who's theoretically obedient and I will show you a disobedient person. Obedience is only and always in the doing. You don't know whether you're obedient or not except in the moment of obedience. And so we're told that the Son of God learned obedience through what he suffered. And having been made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. Having been designated by God a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. Uh, feel free not to ask me about that part. Jesus gets it. He's one who in his life learned obedience. 
And he did it from what he suffered. And no matter what you're going through, God can say in Jesus Christ with great confidence, I get it. I get it. And that's the kind of priest you want. A priest who can deal with your sin problem for all eternity, who learned obedience the hard way through what he suffered. Um, I, uh, I will let you in on the secret on what preachers do on Sunday night. I've talked to a lot of them. Some of them drink. Some of them think about jumping off a bridge. Um, some of them crawl into a deep, dark depression. Some of them watch TV and try to not think about anything. Because Sunday nights are the worst time in the life of any preacher. Because that's the moment when it comes crawling over the top of you. The gap between the gospel you preached and the person you are. And it is almost unbearable. And the ones who make it, make it because they know they have a high priest who gets it, who cried out to God, and guess what? Died anyway. They have a priest who gets it. Um, one of the great things about, the many great things about the life I've gotten the lead is that occasionally people will invite you onto the holy ground of their suffering or even the holier ground of their sin. And those are often extraordinarily painful moments. And a few times I have said to that person, okay, you need to know something. I will never leave your side. Most of you have had somebody say that to you at some point, and you know how that feels. Now, I want you to get a load of this. God, in Jesus Christ, as your high priest, looks at you and says, I will never leave your side. Side. How does that feel? It makes you wonder how, as the Hebrews writer writes this book, trying to encourage, I think, some Jewish Christians not to return to Judaism, why they would even think of that. Well, I suppose there's this lure of the priest who says, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to 
physically and, and, and deal with your sin problem in a way that you can see and we're gonna get all taken care of for a year. And, and the Hebrew writer says, I have a different mystical high priest for you. After that mysterious person in the Old Testament, Melchizedek, who, who doesn't do things like your old priests do, but you need to know this. He learned obedience by the things that he suffered and now he's an eternal high priest making the case for you before God and he will never leave your side. Uh, my guess is uh, a number of us are going to need that word in the days ahead. Uh, would you stand? The Lord bless you and keep you the Lord make his face to shine upon you and give you peace. To him who is able to keep you from falling and present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God our Savior be glory and majesty, dominion and power through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore, world without end. Amen.